Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com slash hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. Abraham Lincoln is one of those presidents with a seemingly endless list of trivia and fun facts that set him apart. He is the tallest president. He was the first to be photographed at his inauguration. He is the only president to have obtained a patent. He is enshrined in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. But here is my favorite. Abraham Lincoln was the first U.S. president born on the frontier. He was the first president to be born outside the original 13 colonies. In this episode, we're going to talk more about how life on the Indiana frontier helped make him the man and the president he became. I'm here again with National Park Superintendent Rhonda Shear at Abraham Lincoln's boyhood home. If you were with me in the last episode, you'll know we're sitting in the Nancy Hanks Lincoln Hall, inside the Lincoln Boyhood National Memorial. And before I say more with Wanda, I wanted to give you a better idea of the room we're sitting in. It's a beautiful space. In that specific Indiana way, I'm going to let Ranger Paula describe it for us. I'm standing in the Nancy Hanks Lincoln Hall. This is part of the Memorial Visitor Center. The walls are made of sandstone, as well as the fireplace here behind me. And on the floor is a large circular braided rug. Above the fireplace is a painting that was done by Clifton Wheeler of the Ohio River. Also on either side of the fireplace, you will see the state of Indiana flag and the American flag. And then on either side of the flags, are two long, narrow windows letting in the sunlight. This hall was built 
as a place to remember Abraham Lincoln's mother, Nancy Hanks Lincoln, and also to reflect on her influence in Abraham Lincoln's life. Now, Nancy did much to shape the character of the young boy, Abraham. Now, it's impossible to really accurately assess the full impact of Nancy's life on Abraham Lincoln, but undoubtedly she left her mark on the young boy in countless intimate and small ways that mothers do with their children. The experience of her death when Abraham was just nine years old also prepared him for facing the tragedy and loss that is part of life as well. And in that way, her death helped shape the man he became. A character trait that he was particularly known for was his compassion for others. As president in the Civil War, Abraham wrote on several occasions letters to grieving families who had lost loved ones. He could empathize with them and offer kind words of comfort because he too knew what they were feeling. He had experienced deep personal loss at a very young age. The loss of his beloved mother in Indiana when he was just nine years old was always a part of him. Reflecting on Nancy later in life, Lincoln said, All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. With all that in mind, we'll head back to the interview. wondering if you could tell me what Lincoln's life would have been like here, specifically, and what age ranges he would have been when he would have been here. He lived here from age 7 to 20. And I think one of the marvelous things about the story is that a lot of our national parks tell 400 years of history or 1,000 years of history or a couple of thousand years of history. We emphasize here Abraham Lincoln's life from age 7 to 20 and how significant that story is to him becoming the most admired president probably in history with a lot of the traits and the tenets that he developed as a child. So it's a very simple story compared to some of the largest stories of the Park Service, some of the larger parks in the agency. This is a simple story of family and community and nature and hard work and reading and self-education. This is a story of Abraham Lincoln, who was a self-taught pioneer boy, who was very curious, very much a reader. We've all heard the stories that he read by the fire. He had a book with him wherever he went. He read about George Washington. He read about Franklin. He read all sorts of books and hymnals and newspapers. He read Aesop's fables. So picture a young boy who's just naturally curious about the world and his mother, Nancy, and his stepmother, Sarah, who provided books for him. And then neighbors who loaned him books, a neighbor who said, you may study the law by reading my law book. So it's a really significant story about a young boy who grew up with a great deal of curiosity. He said he never liked hard work. He readily admitted that. In Lincoln's own words, My father taught me how to work, but not to love it. I'd rather read, tell stories, crack jokes, talk, laugh, anything but work. He wanted a life that was more intellectual and more academic in some way. He was interested in the law. He was interested in retail and in merchandise. He was interested in travel. He took the riverboat down to New Orleans where he witnessed the first slave auction of his life. So he worked hard in the field, he cut down the trees, he helped plant the crops, he helped his dad in the carpentry shop, he did the chores. 
but he was also curious and learned compassion when he watched the slave auction that had an impression on him. The wild animals in the woods, he had compassion for them and didn't want to hunt. So all of these tenets that somehow he developed because of his family and his community and his neighbors and his environment, we believe were really significant to him developing the kind of personality he did as an adult leader. And you think about him when he was leading the efforts in the Civil War, when he had compassion for the families who lost their sons and brothers and husbands in battle, when he did the Emancipation Proclamation based on his history of learning about slavery as a child. All the things that he did that he's known for and famous for, we stop and wonder how much influence the rural community, the pioneer farmstead, the self-education of reading books, developed him into the president that he became. It's a very good point, you know, that, that you're making. One of the things that you mentioned was the, the slave auction. Did that happen while he was here? That was in New Orleans when he went down on the riverboat, on the flatboat to do an errand for some, some friends who were wanting to buy and sell merchandise there. So he traveled along and witnessed it there in New Orleans. But he was living here He at was the living time. here. He was a young man, probably 20 years old, when he went there and saw that. And do we know that because he wrote about it, I assume? He did. He wrote some things about his life as an adult. And he also had a law partner who did a lot of research after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and did a lot of research with people who knew him and wrote that down as a historical record of what Abraham Lincoln talked about when he was a youth. What did his dad do for a living? His dad was a farmer and a carpenter. And so the reconstructed farm area shows a carpentry shop with all the tools that were significant to that day. And there are pieces of furniture in the area that people say were created by him based on the kinds of design work that the wood shows and based on the construction methods. We don't know for sure what pieces were done by Mr. Lincoln. We have one in our exhibit hall that has been said to be one that he made based on the evidence of the workmanship. So he was really a rather crafted workman on, in the carpentry shop as well as being a farmer. And how do, you, how do you know what the size of his cabin was? Well, they actually did find evidence of a historic cabin um, that they believe could have been the Lincoln's cabin. And it's right up there by our symbolic cabin. We call it the Cabin Site Memorial. And the historians and archaeologists found remnants of the sill logs and the hearthstones of one of the most recent cabins that were of that era in this area. And, of course, the local pioneers pointed to that spot and said, yes, that was the Lincoln's last of three cabins. So we go by what the pioneers said that lived here and by the evidence of the sill logs and the hearthstones. And how many people would have been living there? Well, you can see our historic cabin up there at the farm, and it has the hearthstone where the cooking was done. It has the table. It has the bed and a couple of seating chairs and a dresser and a built-in corner cabinet, undoubtedly very much like the kind Lincoln would have made himself, Tom Lincoln. And then to access the sleeping loft, there are pegs in the wall rather than a staircase. And you can climb up the pegs, and there's a full-sized attic where the boys probably would have slept. So when Mr. Lincoln remarried Sarah from Kentucky, she came here with her three children, and there was Abraham and his sister, Sarah. And then there was a cousin, Dennis Hanks, who came as well. 
So I've lost count how many we have living in that cabin, sleeping on the first floor and also in the attic. There's a lot of people in a small cabin. And in those times, it was considered a pretty good life. That was what people wanted to have. They aspired to having a home, and they aspired to having property and a way to make a living. To our way of thinking, it would have been quite crowded and very primitive. I'm curious, being a local Hoosier now and living in this area, do you have a favorite story that you might have heard, that you might have read about Lincoln during living here during that time? favorite story. There's a, there's the conglomeration of stories that, that I like the best of him being a self-educated boy. And as a former school teacher, of course, I love that concept that we have a young man who loved books and read by the hearth and read in the field and had a book in his knapsack at most all the times. Here's Lincoln again in another version of his autobiography. He describes both the move to this area and the state of his education within it. My father, at the death of his father, was but six years of age, and he grew up literally without education. He removed from Kentucky to what is now Spencer County, Indiana, in my eighth year. We reached our new home about the time the state came into the Union. It was a wild region with many bears and other wild animals still in the woods. There, I grew up. There were some schools, so-called, but no qualification was ever required of a teacher beyond the reading, writing, and arithmetic, reading, writing, and ciphering to the rule of three. If a straggler supposed to understand Latin happened to sojourn in the neighborhood, he was looked upon as a wizard. There was absolutely nothing to excite ambition for education. Of course, when I came of age, I did not know much. Still, somehow, I could read, write, and cipher to the rule of three. But that was all. I have not been to school since. The little advance I now have upon this store of education, I picked up from time to time under the pressure of necessity. I was raised to farm work which I continued till I was 22. At 21, I came to Illinois. There's a story about how he decided one day to shoot the turkey when his father was out of town and be the hunter for the family, and then saying, no, I didn't like that, I don't want to hunt again. Here is a short version of that story, in Lincoln's own words, again in the third person. A few days before the completion of his eighth year, in the absence of his father, a flock of wild turkeys approached the new log cabin, and Abraham, with a rifle gun, standing inside, shot through a crack and killed one of them. He has never since pulled a trigger on any larger game. There's a story about how he found some local neighborhood kids tormenting a turtle, and he stepped in to stop the abuse. This is where we get the stories of compassion. Like I mentioned, the story of witnessing the slave auction in New Orleans and deciding that was not an acceptable way for the country to continue. The fact that he read his first law book as an independent student of a neighbor and returned the damaged law book um, when he found it back to the neighbor. There's all sorts of those kinds of very simple sort of Abraham Lincoln folklore that portrays so much of what he was and believed in as a young kid and a growing man. 
And then I get a kick out of the fact that he always admitted the hard work is not exactly what he preferred in life, and he was hoping there was something better. There's a quote that's attributed to him that says, I will read and prepare, and someday my chance will come. So we knew that he grew up with the idea that there was more in life that might beckon him, and he wanted to be ready for it, though he wasn't quite sure what the opportunities might be. I like that. And what events led up to Lincoln leaving this area? Did all his family leave with him as well? He did, yep. Tom Lincoln decided it was time to move on. Better lifestyle, better land, better opportunity in Illinois, that pioneer spirit. And so he went with them and went off on his own shortly after that and became involved in lots of different kinds of ways of making a living until he found his way really interested in law and deciding that he wanted to pursue that professionally. When people come here, what kind of items would they be expecting to see when they come into the museum or the visitor center? In the visitor center, we have a really wonderful introductory movie in the auditorium. And then we have an exhibit hall, which has a, a reproduction of a pioneer cabin. We have some sculpture. We have a lot of quotes. We have historic photographs of him when he was older, and photography was part of our history making. The living historical farm is what we call an exhibit in place. And you can either walk or drive to the ex exhibit in place. And during the visitor season, our cabin is open and staffed. And you can encounter park rangers dressed in historical attire who are doing cooking and spinning and talking about the pioneer crafts and chores. We have a farmer on staff who plows the field and plants the corn and the flax and the oats and the wheat and the tobacco. We have a pioneer garden where we grow radishes and turnips and carrots and potatoes and beans. We grow lots of different melons, as they would have done in that time period. Our most famous melon is the Kushaw squash, which is very significant to Indiana in that time period. It's that kind of squash with a very long, crooked neck. And um, so the exhibitry and the education and the, the learning experiences here are very much the demonstrations of pioneer farming methods and the interactions with staff and volunteers about the lifestyle and the pioneer methods of the time that Lincoln lived here. I'm curious, what are some of the top questions you might receive from people when they first come here? They want to know how old he was when he was here, like you. They want to know why he left. They want to know how he spent his time. They want to know what books he read. They want to know if he believed in slavery or not from an early age, or was that something that he developed as he aged? The thing that's really significant, I think, about what most visitors experience when they get here is that sense of wonder that they are actually walking in the same area that Abraham Lincoln walked in. People are in awe that this is where Abraham Lincoln lived and worked and grew up. This space is unique to any other space that they visited because Abraham Lincoln spent 17 years of his life here from the young age of seven till he was a young man. So when our students come and our visitors come, it's great fun to say, how old are you? And no matter what the children answer, you can say, that's how old Abraham Lincoln was when he lived here. Because it's, right. it's quite a range of ages from young boyhood to young man. And those years are unique, and you learn a lot throughout your adulthood during the, those periods of your life. So that's important for, for everyone to keep in mind when you think about Lincoln living here during that time period. Do you know what the population would have been like for this 
for that time? I don't know. It, I know it was very small. It was the Pigeon Creek community. There was actually the Pigeon Creek Church. That's where his sister is buried. Sarah is across the road, Pigeon Creek burial ground. But I don't know the numbers. And what can you tell me about Sarah? Why was she buried there? How long has she been? Well, she, di- she died as a young woman. She died giving birth. She was a, a young bride. And it's one of those things where you just imagine with modern medical in- intervention and treatment, she probably would have been okay. And Abraham Lincoln was just devastated when his sister Sarah passed. So he lost his mother and his sister. But that was the Pigeon Creek Church burial space. And so at that time, probably it was more iced cemetery than the more informal one here we call the Pioneer Cemetery. Do you know how old Lincoln was when his sister died? I can't recall. I'll look it up. Yeah, no I know Sarah, Sarah was quite young. She was a young bride at the time. Sure. Is there any other details about this place that you think that our listeners or myself should know? There's a couple interesting other tidbits. One is the fact that a visitor will notice as you walk around a lot of the mesh, we call them cages, around the saplings in our forest. We've taken on a five-year project to revegetate the forest with oak trees and hickory trees in a way that would more reflect the forest of Abraham Lincoln's time period here. So it's been a a good effort of planting a total of 5,000 over the last two years, new baby oaks, we call them. So you'll see a lot of those cages. We did a scientific study to see how many of the trees would survive without our help because the deer love to eat them and discovered that not a single one would survive without a protective cage. So you'll see of our spring planting with all the white mesh cages around our baby oaks. The other thing I was going to mention too is that in the park service especially and in education, we always like to figure out what we call the universal themes. Those are the stories and the themes and the messages that most all people can relate to, no matter where they're from or what their destination is. And as we talk about Abraham Lincoln's childhood and how much this place and this lifestyle and this environment affected him, I think that our universal theme is so relevant to today's society and today's families too, is to realize how significant a child's upbringing is and how significant the people and the experiences and the family and the community to that child is going to be extremely influential on how that person turns out. And so we have the story of Abraham Lincoln becoming the president that he did, realizing that every child's upbringing and every child's family and every child's community is very significant to how that life is developed. And so it's a reminder that no matter what we do, we look at the children and realize they're the future and we have the influence to impress the future in directions based on how we proceed with that child's life. I love that. In my conversations with staff and with visitors, I often say that I find myself in the position to state the obvious even though the obvious might be evident. We say what's obvious because the obvious needs to be stated. and. To those of us that live here and work here, it's revealing that this simple environment and this farm life and this self-education, this pioneer community is what made Abraham Lincoln who he is. But maybe people don't realize that. People don't know exactly why Abraham Lincoln turned out the way he did. We know from being in this environment and reading the histories that we do and doing the research that he often 
almost made fun of himself. And he never felt worthy of being held in high regard and high esteem. He was always a little embarrassed that he wasn't formally educated. He said, I went to school by littles. Because if you added up the short periods of time that he was a student in a school throughout his youth, he only went to school about two years total. So he went to school in Littles, and he didn't have a higher education. And when he went to Washington, he realized that he was in the minority. People were more educated than he was. They were more experienced than he was. But he took that as part of his self-image. And even as a youth, he was known to be a storyteller. And he liked to go down to the general store and tell jokes and share with the, with the other people. He was known to get on a tree stump after church service and recite from memory the sermon that the preacher had just delivered. He always had the idea that there was more out there in the world that he was experiencing. There was more out there than he knew. There was more education that other people were getting that he wasn't. But when he started working in the professional circles and started being respected as a politician as a, and as a leader, he never lost that self-image that he really was just a country boy. And he really got his education by reading books on his own. And he really learned about the world just by living it and talking to the people in his rural community. So I think that's one of the things that makes him so approachable in history is that he was so humble. He didn't think highly of himself at all. He made fun of himself. He loved humor, he loved storytelling, he loved the simple life of communing with people and jack joking around and telling stories. And history still portrays him that way as the president, is always looking for entertainment, always looking for compassion, always looking for friendship. So for some reason, he never got cocky about what he became. He always remembered who he was, and that probably was somewhat surprised that he ended up where he did. But that's part of the intrigue of history, is trying to figure out what we can about some person that's no longer here, a very significant piece of history. That's what's fun about history, trying to figure out what really happened and why. Right. And coming to places like this in order to do the research and walk the walk and be in the place where history happened. And that's what makes it intriguing and challenging and fun. And people come here and just at the end of their visit say, this is the most marvelous place. I just can't believe I'm here. And other people, what we would think, might say, it's just a bunch of trees and a pioneer farm. Well, I have to say, when I first came here, I thought, I didn't look up the website or anything like that. We were driving through, and I thought that there was just going to be like a small memorial. And we turned through and saw this big building, and I was like, what in the world? <laughs> and then we walked down. I had no idea his mom was buried here or anything like that. Yeah, so it was beautiful, a beautiful, yeah. beautiful place. And like I was mentioning, I came from Mount Rushmore. My first park was Mount Rushmore, where we had the 60-foot sculpted likenesses of four presidents and told the story of the significance of those four leaders in American history. And then to come to the different spots around the nation where those four presidents lived and worked and fought and played brings a whole new meaning of presidential history is how did they each get to where they got to have as many memorials to their history as there are think about Lincoln he's got Mount Rushmore the Lincoln Memorial he's got the Lincoln home he's got the Lincoln birthplace there's so many ways and places to honor presidents but every one of the places tells part of the story in their own way. And I think that's one of the things that's really significant about doing national park visits is knowing that they're all chapters of the same story. 
But there's more information, more insight to get no matter where we go. It could be 200 acres of rural Indiana, or it could be the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. For those of you who have a special interest in the life and presidency of Abraham Lincoln, I'd encourage you to visit the Lincoln Boyhood National Memorial. It may not be as well known as the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, but it's no less important a part of his legacy. It's also a peaceful, beautiful place to spend an afternoon remembering the humble origins of one of America's greatest presidents. On the opposite side of the visitor center is the Abraham Lincoln Hall, a small chapel-like venue available to the public for certain private events, like weddings and community gatherings, whose missions are connected with the purpose of the park. This use is available through application for a special use permit. I am standing inside of the Abraham Lincoln Hall, located inside the Memorial Visitor Center. This is one of the two memorial halls located within the structure, the Nancy Hanks Lincoln Hall, and there is a connecting hallway or a cloister uh, between the two halls that make up this building. This building was completed back in 1943, and it was designed and built in what the architect said was the spirit of Indiana in 1816. The architect described this spirit as an expression of honesty, simplicity, and dignity, qualities which are associated with Abraham Lincoln and his mother, Nancy. Materials should be native and largely hand-worked, and the design is suggestive of the best practices of 1816 and structures built by one of the best builders of that period. The memorials created by people from Indiana and constructed of Indiana limestone and sandstone with all of the timber cut from trees native to the area. The interior walls, what you're seeing here is uh, St. Mindward sandstone. And then there's cherry wainscoting that you see rising up from the floor to the bottom of the windowsills. The cherry wood that they used is a nod toward Thomas Lincoln since he often used cherry wood in his carpentry work. The solid hand-hewn yellow poplar trusses support the ceiling of the hall. And then at the front, you can see the rostrum. This is the front of the hall back there. And um, there's a small balcony at the rear. And the pew type seats on either side of the aisle here are typical of early courthouses and meeting houses. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.